Our scripture tonight is from Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jesse. Father, uh, we... We are here gathered because of you, Lord. You call us here. We are responding because of your grace in our lives. And um, Father, I just pray that tonight you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, uh, because my words alone have no power. Um, but Lord, you, you are the God of power. You're the God of love. You're the God of goodness. And you uh, are the one who can change us in the ways that we need to be changed and love us in the ways that we need to be loved. And so, Lord, we, we give ourselves, we give this time to you, ask that you would come in, in the way that you do and, and melt uh, cold hearts. And, Lord, that you would restore uh, the joy of our salvation. And, Lord, for those in the room who do not know the joy of your salvation, Lord, I pray that you would uh, visit that joy on them tonight. And, uh, Lord, we give you ourselves and, and everything here. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, welcome. I'm Matt Avery, um, pastor of Midtown West. If I haven't met you yet, would love to meet you. If you've got time after the service, come up and say hey. Uh, if you are just joining us, we are going through our, our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians, the study of joy, because in this letter he talks so much about joy. And, um, and so tonight, the uh, title of this sermon is The Joy in Losing Your Discontentment. And some of the other titles have been a little more... Um, complex, but this one, I don't know if people are going to argue with losing your discontentment, so it's not that exciting, but um, that's the hope, and I want to talk about this concept of um, where I think a lot of our discontentment comes from. I read this book a while back called The Paradox of Choice. Have y'all ever heard or read that book? Um, I'll save you the time and money. Uh, it's a great book, but here's the gist of it. Um, having some choice is good, Having a lot of choice is bad because it's paralyzing. And it gives you the illusion that there's something perfect out there that you should be able to attain. Um, but that's not often the case. And he gives this really uh, great example of buying blue jeans. And he's an older guy and he talks about like back in the day he would go to buy blue jeans and there was like two choices. Um, you'd have like the stone wash and the regular wash. And now there's literally hundreds of choices of like all these different cuts and shades and, and colors and washes and everything. And he's like, you know, now when I go in, um, I expect that there should be a pair of jeans that's perfect for me. And so I'm actually a lot of times more disappointed um, because I'm not finding perfection now because of all this choice. And so something I wanna throw out to us is, you know, I, I think if we, um, if we really sat down and took our thoughts captive, and we're honest, we would say that a lot of our requests are just asking for more. Uh, if I could have more choice, more autonomy, more knowledge, more power, um, that is how I'm gonna be more content. And so as we've talked about every week, um, 
Paul is saying, no, no, that's actually not the case. Uh, joy is found in losing. Joy is found in, in letting go of some of this stuff um, so that you can pick up something else. And, and I just wanna throw this out to us so that we can all live in this reality together and agree with Paul that um, with, with the advent of the internet, there's infinite knowledge at our fingertips. Um, but like that hasn't solved our problems. That hasn't made us happier. That hasn't really, like, because the problem is not with we don't have enough knowledge. It's we, we don't have the capacity to do with infinite knowledge what needs to be done in order to give us contentment. And so um, if you're still doubting this, think about um, has Netflix and, and all of this like on-demand viewing uh, enhanced your movie nights or taken away from your movie nights? Because if you're like me, um, now with this infinite choice, I actually spend an hour and a half trying to decide on what movie to watch. And then Lee's like, and we're done. It's time to go to bed. And we haven't started one. So um, just think about that as we, as we move through this. And, and I, what I wanna propose to us is in the, this idea of the joy of losing our discontentment, it's um, maybe, maybe this is all about knowing fewer things, really important things, and knowing those things really well. Maybe, maybe that's where our contentment comes from instead of trying to know a lot of things. And so now we're gonna jump into the passage here. And um, Paul's call to us tonight throughout this whole passage is to rejoice in the king. Rejoice in the king who is here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your, reasonable, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So Paul says that joy comes in focusing on someone other than ourselves. And he says that uh, focusing on someone other than ourselves or focusing on ourselves in the context of a relationship with someone else. Um, and that is our, our king, our Jesus. And he says that our contentment, our joy uh, is something that avail is available to us at all times because in Christ, we're in this state of blessing. We're in this state of wholeness in Jesus. And that is always. And so this is really a call from Paul to like, not, it's easy to read this and to think he's calling us to just kind of fake it and, you know, pep up and like put on a, a happy face. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Like, just tough it out. But, but what he's saying, and I think the reason he repeats himself is he's saying, no, 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 I'm asking you to get in touch with a deeper reality. I'm asking you to live in touch with a deeper reality that is constant and fixed and has way more to do with your contentment than your cha ever-changing circumstances. And so when Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord always, he's, he's actually, it's not this shallow put on a smile. It's like this, no, 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 we're gonna mine deeper than maybe you've ever lived before. And, I, and I'm gonna show you what's at the core because if you're in Christ, what's at the core is the Holy Spirit living in you. And he is always there, always working for your good. And he is, he is always wise, always good, always loving, always powerful. And so Paul calls us to live in this reality. And, um, and, and so then he says in this next verse, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And that word reasonableness means like gentleness or forbearance, patience. It's just a way that you experience somebody um, being gentle and gracious and patient. And what Paul is saying is, this is kind of like the theme that the rest of our verses are gonna flow out of. If you are living in this rejoicing in Christ, 
it is gonna make you a reasonable person. Um, it is gonna make you more gentle. It's gonna make you more gracious. Why? Because there's a difference when people are living in poverty from people living in an abundance. When you're living in poverty, when you are living out of this orphan mentality that everything is scarce and I've gotta get mine and if I'm not watching out for myself, nobody is, that's gonna change how I live. And I'm, people are not gonna experience my gentleness, they're not gonna experience graciousness, they're not gonna experience patience. They're gonna experience something very different. But if, if you are a child of the king, like Paul is calling us to remember that we are, um, and you are connected, deeply connected to the king of the universe who has infinite resources and loves you and is always with you, then, then that's a very different life. And what's flowing out of you is gentleness and graciousness and patience because I don't have to be first in line for everything because I'm not afraid of it running out because I'm connected to my king who, who is the God who has a cattle on a thousand hills, who doesn't need anything from me, who shows up always to bless and never to take. And that is gonna change how we live. And so what we're gonna look at is kind of the two, two parts of this question, how do we rejoice in the king? How do we rejoice in the presence of the king? And, and another way to ask that question is how do we grow in Christ? That's what Paul's talking about. Everything that he talks about uh, in this letter and every letter that he's written that's a part of our, our scripture is he's very concerned with our practical everyday life. These are not just these pie in the sky, ivory tower ideas, but he's bringing it down to the street and he's saying, I, this theology, this understanding needs to change your life. And if you really get it, it will. And so um, the first part of this is believing that we are guarded by the king. And so Paul, continuing verse five through verse seven here, says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean that the Lord is at hand? That word um, has two meanings. It's, it's nearness in time, but it's also nearness in proximity. And Paul is saying that the Lord is at hand in both contexts. And it's, it's so deeply important for us to live out of that reality. Um, Zephaniah 1.14 says, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The day that Jesus is gonna return and put everything right is coming and is coming quickly. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, uh, do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? So the king of glory, the king of the universe is both coming in all of his fullness and all of his goodness to put everything to rights for all eternity. And that day is approaching and it's coming nearer and nearer. And he dwells not just near you, but within you. So the Lord is at hand. And, and Paul is saying that should and does change your experience of your everyday life. What is natural for me to believe is that my circumstances are at hand and that Jesus is very distant. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not taking thoughts captive, that is how I will live most of my days, is that whatever is happening here, wherever the waters are getting stirred and troubled, um, that's what's dominating my mind because it's so easy to live in this place where I think my circumstances, like me policing my circumstances in my own understanding, in my own power, is, 
is where I'm so tempted to live most of my life. And Paul's saying, man, that, that, will, that will kill you. That will undo you. The reality is, is my circumstances are fleeting and Jesus is at hand. And Paul says in the context of this, do not be anxious about anything. And this, this word that he has for anxious is like anxious worry. It can mean like being torn apart. It's just ruminating on these things that bring you worry until it just tears your soul up. And he says, you don't have to feel like that about anything. Do not be anxious in anything. And that's what Jesus is saying in Luke 12. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If you cannot do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about anything? And in effect, Jesus is saying, um, I want you to stop and take note of how little and how powerless you are. And, and if you cannot add a single hour to your life by all this spinning, all this churning, all this anxious worry that you are living out of, if you cannot even add a single hour to your life, like I would just stop and ask, like, what is this accomplishing for you? And to live in the reality that it's really, it's not accomplishing anything. It's, it's actually us operating above our pay grade and getting crushed as a result of this. Um, a story from my life that um, makes me cringe to think about it that I feel like kind of puts this in a different context is um, when I was younger, I was a young life leader and I was always like the second guitar guy. Uh, like I, I didn't know guitar well enough to like be the lead guitar player and singer for Young Life Club, but um, I was always the guy that could play like the three chords as long as somebody else was up there with me. And I was going to help out with like the leaders at this Young Life camp. And so my friend who was like leading the time of the leaders, leading the leadership meetings, she called me and she was like, hey, I remember you led... Um, led worship for Young Life, could you like lead worship with me for the leaders meetings? And I was like, yeah, cause I really wanted to be a guy who could do that. And, uh, and so I practiced some songs, but like I had, I had never done that. I'd never led in front of anybody by myself ever. So this was like a really poor idea. And uh, sure enough, like tonight's meeting, I get up there, it's time for me to do my thing. And it was, um, I mean, to say it was painful was like the understatement of the century. It was like me stopping like every fourth strum and like having to like get the chord again and everybody's out there like, what, the, what is happening? <laughs> like, who is this guy? And why would he agree to do this? And I'm up there like, I don't know. It was a bad idea. But like, now here we are, we're stuck. And it's like, I just wanted to die the whole time I was up there. Like, and it, you know, it's what, four, three sessions of doing that. And so it's just like this whole time, like, but I didn't have to live like that, right? I could have just said, no, I don't have what it takes to do that. Somebody else should do that. And I could have just sat in the room and really enjoyed that weekend. But that weekend was like the worst weekend of my life because I was trying to worry about things that like I couldn't do anything about. It was, it was just too, too big for me, too much for me. And so I want us to just take a minute and think like, what are those things for you? What are those things that just occupy so much of your mental space and your heart space? that you were so concerned about, that you were, when, you're, when you don't have to think about something and your mind is able to just drift, what do you drift to? Like, what are the things that you are always worried about? You're always trying to work out uh, some solution or, or some way in which this situation can improve or some way in which you can get out of this or, or whatever it is, but just kind of think about what, it, what is that for you today? Like, what are those things right now?
And Paul, Paul just calls us in everything, um, bring this reality into the presence of your mind that the king is here. You don't have to bring Jesus into your reality. He's already there. You, you have to bring yourself into that reality to live, live out of that reality. Um, and, and when we experience, when we're tempted to experience that anxious worry, that's actually an invitation from our king to deeper intimacy with him through dependence. Because when I feel that anxious worry, um, instead of me just like doubling down and white knuckling everything until the wheels fall off, that's how I experience that feeling. Like that's the invitation that I hear wrongly in that feeling all the time. But like really what that invitation is, is when I start to feel that, it's an invitation for me to realize this is, whatever this is, is too big for me. And to take my hands off and to run to Jesus and say, you are here and I need you. And he's saying, yeah, good. This is exactly why this is happening. <laughs> like this is, I, I put these things in your path because I'm inviting you to know and live out of this reality and enjoy this reality at a deeper level than, than you have so far. And so Paul breaks down like, what does prayer look like? It's going to Jesus and it's going to Jesus. Like he really wants to know like, what are our needs? What are our concerns? What are these things that we're tempted to anxiously worry about? He's not asking us, nobody is asking us to live um, like everything's cool all the time. That's, Jesus is never asking you to shelf what's really on your heart or really on your mind. No, he's asking you to bring all concerns big and small to him but he's saying it's really important that you do that in the context of thanksgiving. Because this reminds you of this deeper, greater, more true reality than your circumstances, which is, well, let's think about it like this. Whatever, whatever you have going on, uh, when I say, what is that you're anxiously worrying about? Put that in your mind right now. We're just gonna kind of walk through this exercise together. So I'm gonna give you a second to get that in your mind. And maybe you really, maybe you pray like this a lot and, and this is not gonna be new. Um, but for some of y'all, this might be new practice, but it's, it's whatever that is, it's to acknowledge that before Jesus, but to, first of all, to thank him for who he is. Like, what is true about you? Oh yeah, you're the king of the universe. Oh yeah, you're the one who came and bled and died in my place so that I could be with you for eternity. And there's a million things you could populate that gratitude list for who Jesus is. And then it's spending some time thinking about thanking him for what he has done, what he has done on the cross, what he has done in history, what he has done also in your personal history. Like what are the ways in which you have clearly shown your love and power in my life in the past that I can look back and thank you for? And what are the things that you're doing right now that I can thank you for? And maybe what are the things that in disappointing me or in me being worried about this situation, you're actually working out something far greater for me than what I wanted to see happen. You're making me more like you. You're, you're removing, you're peeling away layers of my false self. You are calling me out of sin. You're calling me out of self-dependence and independence. I don't know if self-dependence is a word that's different from independence, but if it is, you're calling me out of both of those things. And it's thanking him for what you know he's gonna do in the future because he tells us in scripture what he's gonna do in the future. You will finish what you started. That's what Paul said at the beginning of this letter. You will, you, Jesus always finishes what he starts. You will bring me home to be with you forever. 
you will never leave me. You will never leave me as an orphan. You are preparing a place for me in your father's house. And now all of a sudden, when I spend some time thinking about all those things, it's like, oh yeah, what was that I was really concerned about again? Yeah, it's still there and it's still hard, but um, it feels a lot different now. And that's, that's you know, when Jesus talks about, um, when, when his disciples ask him, hey, how do we pray? And he shares the Lord's prayer. That's what he's saying in the Lord's prayer as well. He's putting it in the context. He, he says, um, give us our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. We, we have needs today and we need your help. So please give us those things. But that's sandwiched in the middle of our father who is in heaven. I have a father who is in heaven who rules over everything. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom will come and your will will be done in all of creation. Please give me what I need for today. And then at the end, because yours is the kingdom, Yours is the glory and yours is the power forever. It's like, okay, there we go. <laughs> like we need to bring our real concerns to him, but it's sandwiched in that deeper reality. And that is what is gonna free us and change us. He says in the peace of God, when we do that, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what is this peace of God? Um, I love J. Oswald Sanders says, peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. It is the nearness of God. The peace of God is contentment in his loving, faithful presence in my life during any circumstance. And he says that this peace is gonna exercise control over our minds. Um, one, one way to translate this is, this peace of God is superior to my mind. Um, I think that freedom is gonna come. I think that uh, life and help is gonna be found if I just understand everything. Okay, Lord, just help me understand everything. If I understand everything, then we'll be good. And, and God's saying, no, no, no. It actually doesn't work like that. You can't understand everything. And when you try to understand everything, that's when you run yourself ragged and your soul is being torn in pieces because you are depending on your own understanding. You're depending on yourself. And what, I want, what I'm calling you to do, what I'm inviting you to do is to live in the peace, live in my peace in Christ and let that control your mind. Let that put guardrails on your mind. Let that be superior to your mind so that you can rest. And that's what Paul, Paul says that when it says that peace will guard our hearts and minds. Um, it's interesting that he chooses that word guard um, as a man who is chained to very intimidating Roman soldiers, centurions in his prison cell. You know, where Paul is in prison, he is literally chained to two guards at all times. Uh, these men in, you know, full regalia of, of armor and weapons. And Paul's saying, yeah, that's kind of like what the peace of God is for our hearts and minds is that I am chained at all times to the love and power of God, who is more powerful than any enemy I will ever face. And so when the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy, um, he has to get past the God of the universe who has chained himself to me at all times, and he's not gonna get past him. And so in that context, think about what happens when I don't uh, come to him in prayer like Paul says here. Think about how unkind that is 
to my heart and mind to leave it unguarded. And I think about how often I leave my heart and mind unguarded because I don't go to him in prayer like this. So the evil one can just have a field day <laughs> because I'm trying to guard it myself. And, and like I said, it's above our pay grade. I can't do that. That's what Paul calls us to in 2 Corinthians 10, five, to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And he's saying, this is how you do it. You, you bring everything that is on your heart and mind to him in prayer and remember who he is. Remember who you're talking to. Claim the truth of who he is. Thank him. And as you thank him, as this truth pours out of your mouth, he will work in the power of his Holy Spirit and change you and change your experience of these circumstances. So that's this, this first part of how do we rejoice in the king. And the second part um, the first part is that we're, we're being guarded by the king. And the second part is that we're continuing to grow in the king. Um, and that's these verses eight and nine here in our passage. And what Paul's saying here is, is he asks us to uh, think about all these things and then put them into practice. He's essentially saying, hey, okay, now that your mind actually has some free space, because when you don't do this, when you don't do what we just talked about, my mind can only be consumed and filled with all the things that are causing me anxious worry about my future, about the people I love, about everything, about all my circumstances that are always in flux, always changing, never safe, even my circumstances that are good today, maybe they're not gonna be good tomorrow. And so I cannot think about anyone else or anything else as long as that stuff is in there. And so he's saying, okay, now, now that that is cleaned out, now you can actually grow. Now you can actually enjoy being in this relationship with this king of kings who has saved you and freed you from this. And so what does this look like to grow? Well, it starts with thinking, remembering, considering, meditating on all of these things. What, what is true, what is lovely, what is right and just because this is the life that Jesus is calling us into and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to live in these ways. He's saying, spend time meditating on these things. You're not meditating on your anxious worry anymore. Now meditate on these things and your heart and mind are gonna follow after your, your thoughts. And then he says, but don't just stop there. Don't just meditate on these things. Um, put them into practice. And he, he makes really clear that, that these things that we're gonna see and, and hear and receive and learn are largely gonna come through other people. So he says, whatever you've learned, received, heard, seen in me, in people who are following Christ, um, do these things. Put them into practice in your own life. Think about them in order to live them out. And then he says that the peace of God, earlier he says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And here he says, well, and that's not all, the God of peace himself will be with you forever. Um, and that's because peace is a person. Peace is this Jesus. He's shepherding us into his kingdom for all eternity. And it's important for us to, to look at, um, of all the things that we worry about, um, our gravest danger was a concern that we didn't even know existed, right? Our gravest danger was our separation from God and our sin. And so we, we didn't even know that that existed. And even if we could, 
in our, in our deadness and our separateness from God, um, there's nothing that we could do about it to put it right. But before we even were able to think about it, our Jesus left everything and came and suffered and died in our place and purchased us back. And so all of, like the thing that should be consuming our, our hearts and minds, um, he has put to peace before we could even stop and think about it. And he said, oh yeah, by the way, I've, I've taken care of that for you. And so now, instead of living in this anxious worry, trying to think about and master a million things, Jesus is saying, hey, why don't you just keep your heart and mind focused on me and, and let me worry about these other things and, and see how that transforms your experience. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna do a little exercise. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for this call. And thank you not just for calling us to rejoice, but showing us how, Lord. Thank you for not just inviting us to peace, but showing us how to, to move towards you um, uh, to access this peace that we always have in Christ, Lord. And, um, and thank you for giving us one another and giving us um, the gift of community uh, to learn and grow and, uh, and walk with you together. And uh, Lord, we just praise you and, and uh, thank you in Jesus' name, amen.